Just join with me in a moment or two as we seek the Lord for his help, just before we turn to the word this morning and ask the Lord to speak to you. Our Father, as we bow now before thee once again, we thank thee, our Father, again, that we are gathered out here this morning. We thank thee that we can come to thee in and through the name of thine own dear Son, the Lord Jesus. Lord, we thank thee that we have an intercessor at the right hand of the Father, pleading our case and our cause even at this very moment. Lord, we pray as we have already been singing, Lord, that the words of our lips, but indeed the words of our hearts would be, that I would draw us closer to thy precious bleeding side. We pray this morning, Lord, that thy alone would be our glory. Nothing in this world I see. Lord, that our hearts and minds would be drawn to thee. Thy word tells us, seek those things which are above, wherein Christ sitteth at the right hand of the Father. And so, Lord, shut us in with thyself this morning. Lord Solomon could say in Ecclesiastes, the preacher sought out acceptable words. Lord, we pray, Lord, whatever would be said or done in the remainder and course of this meeting, Lord, that those words would be acceptable in thy sight and in thine alone. Lord, thou knowest the hearts of those that are gathered out here, Lord. Lord, thou knowest the need, thou knowest the need more than any of us do. And so, Father, we pray now, Lord, that thou would shut us in with thyself, fill us afresh with thy Holy Spirit, Give us power, give us liberty. Lord, hide us far beyond the cross of Calvary. Lord, take these stammering words of a feeble man. And Lord, may thy son and all his beauties, all his glories, all his wonders of that wondrous name, Lord, be beheld by each and every one of us. And so, Lord, shut us in with thyself. Bless us. And Lord, may thee and thee alone get all the glory. For we ask it all in the name of the Lord Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Amen. Shall we turn, please, to the book of Numbers? Numbers and chapter 4. And then we'll go for another short reading to chapter 8. Numbers chapter 4, the book of the wanderings, the book of the wilderness. Numbers chapter 4, please. And we're just going to go to the end of chapter 4 for the sake of time. There's much we could read on this subject, but we're, for the sake of time, we'll just take some scattered readings. Numbers chapter 4 and verse 46. And those that were numbered of the Levites, whom Moses and Aaron and the chief of Israel numbered after their families, and after the house of their fathers, from thirty years old and upward, even unto fifty years old, every one of that came to do the service of the ministry and of the service of the burden in the tabernacle of the congregation, even those that were numbered of them were eight thousand and five hundred and four square. That's eight thousand five hundred and eighty. According to the commandment of the Lord, they were numbered by the hand of Moses, every one according to his service, according to his burden. They were numbered of him as the Lord commanded Moses. And then jump with me over just a few chapters to chapter 8. Chapter 8, and we'll break in at verse number 5. Chapter 8 and verse number 5. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. And thus shalt thou do unto them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purifying upon them. Let them shave all their flesh and let them wash their clothes and so make themselves clean. Then let them take a young bullock with his meat offering and fine flour mingled with oil. And another young bullock shalt thou take for a sin offering. And thou shalt bring the Levite before the tabernacle of the congregation. Thou shalt gather the whole, assembly of the, the whole assembly of the children of Israel together, and thou shalt bring the Levites before the Lord. 
and the children of Israel shall put their hands upon the Levites, and Aaron, and Aaron shall offer the Levites before the Lord for an offering of the children of Israel, that they may execute the service of the Lord. And the Levites shall lay their hands upon the heads of the bullocks, and thou shalt offer the one for a sin offering, and the other for a burnt offering, and the Lord to make an atonement for the Levites. Thou shalt set the Levites before Aaron and before his sons, and offer them for an offering unto the Lord. Thus shalt thou separate the Levites from among the children of Israel, and the Levites shall be mine. And after that shall the Levites go in to do the service of the tabernacle of the congregation, and thou shalt cleanse them and offer them for an offering. For they are wholly given unto me. Mark that. For they are wholly given unto me from among the children of Israel, instead of the, such as open the womb, and instead of the firstborn of all the children of Israel have I taken them unto me. For all the firstborn of the children of Israel are mine, both man and beast. On the day that I smote every firstborn in the land of Egypt, I sanctified them for myself. And I have taken the Levites for all the firstborn of the children of Israel, and I have given the Levites as a gift to Aaron. Look at verse number 21, and that will do for reading. And the Levites were purified, and they washed their clothes. And Aaron offered them as an offering before the Lord, and Aaron made an atonement to cleanse them. And after that were the Levites to do their service in the tabernacle of the congregation before Aaron, before his sons. And the Lord had commanded Moses concerning the Levites, so, they, so did they unto them. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his word to our hearts this morning. If you were to go through the start of your Bible from Genesis to Numbers, the layout would be a little bit like this. Genesis is the way down. Man failed, the ruin of the Garden of Eden. Exodus is the way out. The Lord at Passover brought them out of the land of Egypt by the blood of the Passover lamb. Leviticus is the way in, the book of the priest, how we can approach God in a holy way. But Numbers is the book of the way through, the book of the wilderness, as they were journeying through the wilderness. So the way down, the way, the way out, the way in, and the way through. That reminds me how this morning each and every one of us are going through. Peter reminds us that we're strangers and sojourners passing through this world. How often do we sing the hymn, this world is not my home, I'm only passing through. The book of Numbers, there's many lessons, many lessons that we could draw from the book of Numbers, the book of the wilderness wanderings. And as we pass through this wilderness of the world, as we alluded to in our opening prayer, Thine alone shall be the glory. Nothing in this world I see. The world has no attraction as we pass through it. We might be in it, but we're not of it. I trust we know that. But there's many lessons that we can draw from the book of Numbers. The preparations at the, st at the start of Numbers, that's the preparations that Israel made in order to begin marching out across the barren wilderness heading for the land of Canaan. In chapter 1, you'll get the people of Israel numbered. Every man that was ready and of age and fit to war and to bear the sword, they were numbered. That would remind us of how the child of God is to be a soldier, to fight the good fight of faith. And then they weren't only to be soldiers, their standard was to be pitched. So they were prepared and then they were pitched around the tabernacle. Their standards were raised, their banners were raised, their, their, their standards were lifted. And they were to join and be around 
the tabernacle. They were close to the place where God was to be. And so they were prepared. They were numbered. The tabernacle had been raised. Exodus 40 tells us that when everything was made according to the pattern, that the glory of the Lord filled the Holy of Holies. God would be there. God would be in the midst of them. And God would walk amongst them and they would be his people and he would be their God. But one of the things that they did in preparation, there wasn't only the numbering of the men that were fit for war. There wasn't only the encamping of the children of Israel around the tabernacle. The place of worship was on their hearts. It was close to them. The standards of war weren't only raised, but the Levites were prepared. The Levites are a wonderful study, and time will not allow me to go into it all, for I want to get right in to the thought that the Lord laid on my heart. But we read of the Levites, and the Levites are a wonderful picture of you and me. The Old Testament, as our brother has mentioned it so often, is full of types. Pictures of the church, pictures of salvation, pictures of the Lord Jesus, pictures of his work, pictures of Calvary, pictures of sin. But there's also all the way through you'll get pictures of the way a believer should walk, the way we should be, the way we should behave, and what our walk whilst on earth before we go to glory should be. And one of the best pictures you can go to in the Old Testament as a picture of believers is that of the Levites. The Levites were a separated company to be all for God. As we read that there, they were a separated company who were all for God. Surely that's not a picture, is it, of what a believer should be. Separated out from among the rest, among the world, and wholly given unto the Lord. I'll quickly run through it. You could take a week's ministry showing what the, how the Levites are like believers, but I'm not going to do that. Safely to say they were called. They were called men. They were brought out from among the rest. They were taken instead of the firstborn of Israel. And that links you back to Passover. That links you back to whenever the children of Israel fled from the land of Egypt and they put the blood upon the lintels of the doorway and the firstborn was given unto the Lord. The Levites were taken instead of the firstborn, so they were called. What was the ground of, the, of these men being brought into such a close, such a brilliant position in the camp of Israel? It was redemption ground. It was based on the Passover. It was based upon blood. That's what our closeness is based upon. They were called out men. Surely we can say as the hymn writer, once I was captive to Satan's will, led by his power into every ill, but Jesus saved me and saves me still. Glory to his name. Once as a slave to the law I stood, vainly I strove to return to God, till Jesus had ransomed me by his blood. Glory to his name, glory to his name, glory to his name. Now I am free, for he died for me. Glory to his name. They were called out men. They were to be holy for the Lord. They were to be all for God. That would remind me of the little text in Titus that reminds us that he purchased us to redeem unto himself a people from free from iniquity, a peculiar people, a peculiar people. That's some description. Could we say that we're a peculiar people this morning? Are we so different? Are we so called out? Just like the Levites was based upon the Passover lamb, they were taken. Instead of the firstborn, they were called out men, separated from all the world to do the service of God. They were called out men, as are we. 
taken from darkness into light, translated from darkness and into the kingdom of God's dear Son. They were called out men. I can't labor on these bits. But they weren't only called out men. They were cleansed men. Because we read of it there in chapter 8. The Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Take the Levites from among the children of Israel and cleanse them. And thus shalt thou do unto, the, unto them to cleanse them. Sprinkle water of purifying upon them. Let them shave all their flesh and let them wash their clothes and make themselves clean. The Levites weren't only called out men, a picture of our salvation, taken from among the world, from darkness into light, a peculiar people, based upon blood, but they were cleansed men. Every child of God that becomes, gets saved and gets into the family of God soon discovers something. We soon discover that while saved and going on with God, we soon discover that there's something that is not morally right. We soon discover that there's something within us that doesn't, go, go, doesn't coincide with what we now are. It's called the flesh. It's called the old man. It's called the old nature that you and I have. But these Levites were cleansed. I don't want to labor too much on this, but the first thing was there was pure water put over them. And you see, this is our cleansing, friends. This is our sanctification. Now, it's positional and it's practical. As soon as you and I are saved, we're washed. Hebrews says about the sprinkling of blood and the washing of pure water. That was, that was once and for all. We never need to go through that process again. We were cleansed positionally at Calvary's cross. Whenever we put our trust and faith in the Lord Jesus, we were washed by the washing of regeneration, the washing of water, which is by the Word, the Scripture says. Positionally, God looks upon His people as clean, as cleansed. And that can never be changed. Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? But then there's practical. As I said, whenever we're saved and we start living for God and we start trying to go to prayer meetings and we start trying to live for Him, we soon discover that there's something within us that doesn't coincide with this new nature that we have. And as I said, it's called the flesh. You see, friends, our hearts have been sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, but the old flesh is still there. So these Levites, they were washed with water. But then, friends, as our daily cleansing, what do we have? Two things before I get into the main message. The first thing is this. The water speaks of the Word and our salvation, but it speaks of our daily cleansing. The Lord Jesus said, Sanctify them through truth. Thy word is truth. He said, Thou art clean through every word that I have spoken unto you. The Word of God has a cleansing nature. We've been reading about the tabernacle. Whenever the old priests came, they were consecrated to the service of God once. They were washed in the labor once. That was never repeated. But there was something else that had to be done daily. They were to wash their hands and their feet every single day. And that, friends, is a picture. The all-over cleansing of the labor was a once-and-for-all thing. The daily cleansing of the labor was a, daily, was a daily thing. The hands and the feet get defiled as we pass through this world. We're clean through the Word. We're clean through every word that He's spoken unto us. So the Word has a cleansing nature. I trust you read it. I trust you study it. But then there's also the flesh was dealt with. It tells us that they were to put a razor over their flesh. What would this answer to? This would answer to the flesh that then the power that can only ever be in the power of the Spirit, that were to mortify the deeds of the body, were to deal with the flesh. 
The Bible says, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the desires and the deeds of the flesh. Galatians says, mortify therefore your members. And Galatians gives us the list of the flesh and what it, be, what it is like. So these men were called. They were called out company, based on blood. They were, they were clean men, positionally and practically. I can't go too long on these things. But then, they, friends, they were consecrated men. Whenever we're saved and whenever we start to go into the battle and to learn to walk in the Spirit and to put to death the flesh, reckon ye at Calvary's cross that the old man died once and for all. And when we start to walk in the Spirit, then something happens. We begin to realize, as Romans 6 tells us, that we no longer are to yield our bodies as members as to the sin and to the flesh, but unto God. And these Levites weren't only called and they weren't only cleansed. These Levites were consecrated. We read of that in chapter 8. It says there in chapter 8 and verse 9, And I shall bring the Levites before the tabernacle of the congregation, and I shall gather the whole assembly of the children of Israel together, and I shall bring the Levites before the Lord. And it goes on down and speaks that they are wholly given unto me as a gift to Aaron. These men were consecrated. Once they had gone through their process of cleansing, these men were get brought before the Lord, and they were to go wholly into the service of God. That would speak to me, anyway, of our consecration. The moment of Romans 12, when we present our bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Let me say this before I move on. What was the basis of their consecration? It tells us there in verse number 11 of the burnt offering and the sin offering. I don't go into the details of the offerings. But I'll say this, the basis of their consecration was the sin offering and the burnt offering. One would speak of his work, the sin offering would speak of his, the bearer of our sins. He who in, an old, who in his own self bore our sins on his own body on the tree, that was his work. But then there was the burnt offering, that's not his work, that's his worth. The one who offered himself without spot, holy unto God. The one who was all for God. The basis of any man or woman's consecration is on the basis of Christ, on the basis of Him dealing with our sin, on the basis of Him being all for God. Don't think when we consecrate ourselves to Christ, there's anything of us. Yes, we're putting ourselves on the altar, I know that, but it's all for the motive is Christ. The motive is Him. The motive is His glory and His beauties is why any man or woman should consecrate their lives to the Lord. So they were consecrated men and cleansed men and called out men, but we could say they were connected men. We read there, and the Levites were purified and washed their clothes, but it says the Levites were given as a gift to Aaron. And now Aaron was the high priest in Israel, and he had the charge over the Levites. They were to work at his command. So they weren't only cleansed and called and consecrated, but they were connected. Are you and I not connected to a high priest this morning? You and I have a high priest in the glory who is interceding for us at this very moment. One who has fulfilled and fully surpassed that what Aaron ever was. He has an unchangeable priesthood that, and, and, that continueth forever. He was connected. But then they were courageous. You'll remember back in Exodus 32. You'll remember whenever Moses went up into the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments from the Lord. Whilst he was up in the glory, 
the children of Israel made the golden calf. What happened? They made the golden calf. Moses came down and he seen them worshipping this golden calf. And he broke the Ten Commandments in front of them. And he put out the charge, who is on the Lord's side? It was the tribe of Levi that rallied round the call. They were courageous men, whilst all the rest were given to idolatry. Levi were the tribe that said, we'll be on the Lord's side. It's interesting, let me apply it. Is our heavenly Moses, the Lord Jesus, gone up the mountain into the glory? Down below, we're making idols out of idolatrous calves. Whilst our heavenly Moses, the Lord Jesus, is out of sight, are we doing like Israel did, dancing and playing around a golden calf? And if he were to come back today, he would, kind of which he could, if he were to come into this meeting today and, like Moses of old, cry out the charge, who is on the Lord's side? I wonder who would answer the call. But it's not their calling upon redemption and salvation I want to take the remainder of the meeting on, nor their cleansing, nor their consecration, nor even their courage, but it's what they carried. These men were men of burden. I told my title this morning was The Burdens That We Bear. I want to take the remainder of the meeting and talk about the burdens that these men bore. You see, the tabernacle court had the major vessels, and the Levites were split into three families. There was the families of Kohath, Goshen, and Merari. These three families each were given a burden. Remember, we read it there in chapter 4. Each one was given their burden. And you know, friends, I want to apply a few things this morning and ask you, are we bearing the burdens the way we should be? If you're in the meeting and you're not saved, you have a burden, not dealt with yet. I'm sure if you've ever watched the film or read the book, excuse me, Pilgrim's Progress, you'll remember that Christian in the book or in the film, as he walked and tried to find the city of light, he had a large rock upon his shoulder and it was called the burden. It's the burden of sin. Before I talk about the burden of the saint and the burden of the Levites, I want to talk about the burden of the sinner. Just like Christian and Pilgrim's Progress, you've still got the rock, you've still got the guilt, you've still got the weight of sin on your shoulders. You've tried everything to try and get it off. Works, being a good person, religion, church, baptism. And that'll never remove the burden. Only the Lord Jesus can remove that burden. Let me read the next verse of that hymn we have with us. Once in the bondage of death's dark night, serving my sins while I shunned the light, till Jesus washed me by his might, glory to his name. That's how you get the burden of sin removed. But it's not the burden of the sinner I want to labor on. It's the burden of the saint. These Levites were men that carried the burdens. Each one was appointed his own task. To Kohath was given the vessels, to Merari was given the boards, and to Goshen was given the hangings and the curtains. And I'm not going to go into tabernacle details or you'd all be snoring. But anyway, the three families of the Levites had their burdens. Each man had a burden to bear. As the tabernacle was put up and the tabernacle was put down, each man had his work, each man had his task, each man had his burden. And dear friends, let me put it this way. Do you know that you have a task to do? Do you know that you have a gift? That you have a burden? That you have a responsibility? Not only to the Lord Jesus, but to this assembly. As we go out together, 
Like these three families, there's a task, there's a burden to do. I want to speak about the place of the burden. In chapter 1, you'll read that the Levites were to encamp round about the tabernacle. These were men that when the tabernacle was pitched and the glory of the Lord filled it, they were to encamp round about it. They were men, if you want, not only cleansed and called, they were men that were close. They were close to the place of worship. The place of their burden was the tabernacle. Now let's make the application. We know today that we don't worship in tabernacles made with hands. The building is really irrelevant. There's no place of worship today. The building is totally irrelevant. But what there is is the assembly. The assembly of God, as we quoted it in the prayer meeting, where the two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. The building is totally irrelevant. But we can take the application from the Levites. Their place of worship, if you like, was the tabernacle. As they took it up and reared it up and took it down and marched through the wilderness with it, they knew their burden was at the place of their worship. Now we know there's no place of worship today, but there is a people of worship, the assembly. Could you say that you're committed to the task, committed to the burden and the assembly? I'm glad that our sister Naomi came into membership this morning because it's given me more ground to talk about this. The first step to being the place of the burden, the place of the task, the place of commitment was the tabernacle for the Levites. The place of any man or woman or young person's burden is not a tabernacle or temple made with hands, but it is the assembly. And the first step to, do to that is to come into membership. The scripture knows nothing of any other sort of connection to an assembly other than putting your full weight, like the Levites in the tabernacle, behind an assembly, getting behind it, bearing the burdens together. The three families couldn't touch the other man's work, which is interesting and we'll come to. They couldn't touch the other man's work. Each had their task and that is what they were to do. The interesting thing is, if a child was born into the tribe of Levi, if he was born into the family of Koath, he knew what his job would be. If he was born into the family of Merari, he knew what his job would be. If he was born into the family of Goshen, he knew what his job would be. Let me apply it this way. As soon as you're born again, dear friend, it shouldn't be too long until you start to discover what your gift is. It shouldn't be too long until you discover what it is that God has you to do. The place of their burden, a picture of burdens in the assembly and commitment to the place of worship, the people of God in the assembly. But there's not only the place of their worship, the place of their burden, there's the pattern of their burden. You see, as I mentioned and alluded to, they had to do it God's way. And our brother Adrian prayed it. There's a pattern in Acts chapter 2. It says, And as many as received him were baptized, were added, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread and prayers. There's a pattern for our burdens. Every task and every work and every burden that you and I bear, the place of it should not only be committed and connected to the assembly, but there's a pattern to do it. If you go to Exodus chapter 40, we'll not read it for time, but if you go to Exodus chapter 40, as I alluded to, the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was commanded to rear it up. But it says in that chapter of Exodus 40, as the Lord commanded Moses, so he did. It says it seven times. Number of perfection. 
In Exodus 40, when they were all ready to go and the glory had filled the tabernacle, it says, and the Lord commanded Moses, so he did. It says it seven times. What's our application there? There's a pattern to do things. It was prayed in the prayer meeting a couple of weeks ago, God's work must be done God's way. We don't introduce ideas. We don't let go into the world to get our notions. We don't do anything that is outside of the book. You see, friends, have you any basis for that? Well, let's look at people in the Scriptures briefly that thought they could do it their way. Even the, even the family of Kohath will start. If you go on into the book of Numbers, they tried to intervene and say, hold on, I'm not happy with this job. I want to be in the priesthood. What happened in the rebellion of Kohath and Dotham? What happened? The ground swallowed up, the ground opened up and swallowed them up. What about Nadab and Abihu? The tabernacle wasn't long erected. They weren't long into the priestly service. They brought strange fire, something that God hadn't told them to do, and they were burned up. What about old Uzzah? When the ark, which speaks of these burdens that they bore, they bore and carried the ark and the mercy seat and the brazen altar and the laver and the golden altar and the table of showbread as what they carried upon their shoulders. Kohath were to carry these tabernacle vessels upon their shoulders. They weren't allowed to be put on wagons. They were to be done God's way. They were to be put upon their shoulders and carried. They were to feel the weight of holy things. Do we feel the weight of holy things? Do we see and feel the importance of the burden of the task that God has put upon us? Or do we try and do it our way? Maybe it's the easy way. Maybe it's the way that gives us the less trouble. Maybe it's the way that makes it easier for us. But God has a way in which to do things. It's called a pattern. And in David's day, they decided they were going to bring back the ark from the house of Obed-Edom. And what did they do? They put the ark of God upon, a, upon an old cart. And the old cows started to walk it back down to the place it should be. And the ark was about to fall off the cart. And Uzzah put out his hand to steady it. And what happened? He was struck down dead. You might say, was that not harsh? He was only trying to stop it falling off the cart. Aye, but that's man's way of thinking of it. God had said it was Koath that were to carry these vessels upon their shoulders. They weren't to put it upon a cart. He shouldn't have reached out and touched it with such irreverence, with such casualness, with such needless care about the way in which God would have it to be done. The place of their burden, the tabernacle, would speak of commitment to the assembly. The pattern of their burden, it must be done God's way. We've got another one there. You could think about how whenever Uzzah, or King Uzziah, sorry, what happened to him? He was a king, and he thought he could go into the priesthood and do it his way, and he took leprosy. You have Uzzah, you have Uzziah, you have Nadab and Abihu, and you even have the family of Kohath. It always spells disaster when we try and do things our own way, when we try and do it outside of the pattern. God's given us a pattern in order to do things. The ground swallowed Kohath up. Uzziah took leprosy. Nadab and Abihu were burned up. It says in Exodus 40, set in order the things that must be set in order. Set in order the things that are to be set in order. There's a pattern. There's a way to do things. And we don't touch it. We don't put man's hand or our own ideas, our own ways, our own thoughts upon it. 
But there's not only the place of their burden and the pattern of their burden. I want you to think of the progress of their burden. You see, friends, maybe you are bearing the burdens today. Maybe you have a burden upon your heart. Maybe you've been toiling away in a task or in a work that maybe nobody else even knows about. And like the old Levites, you're toiling through this wilderness. And you don't think you're making much progress. But friends, there is the progress of the burden. Whenever the staves were put into the ark and the covering of blue went over the top of it and they lifted it upon their shoulders and they began to march across the desert, with every footstep they made progress. Let me put it this way. It's usually those who are most burdened for the things of God that make the most progress. It's usually those that are serious. It's usually those who want to put their all and commit to the work who make the most progress. Yes, it might have been toilsome. Yes, it might have broke a sweat. Yes, it might have been hard. But then these Levites put the vessels of the tabernacle upon their shoulders. They began to trod through the wilderness ways of the wilderness. They knew that something was ahead of them. They knew that the land of Canaan was ahead of them. One day was coming. One day was coming whenever those vessels would wander no more. One day was going to come when that ark and the other vessels would rest in Solomon's temple. The staves would be removed and they would be fixed. Friend, I don't know if you're bearing a burden today. Maybe you are. I'm sure in an assembly this size, there's definitely burden. But let me put it this way. If you're bearing the burden, remember this. It's those that are most serious. It's those that are committed. Usually make the most progress. Whenever the children of Israel crossed over the Jordan River and into the land of Canaan, the ark went out before them. It was Levi and the priesthood that bore it. The men who carried this vessel, these vessels were always out in front. Again, it's those that are burdened usually make the most progress in the things of God. Maybe you have the burden and you might say, it's getting hard, it's getting tough. And I know I agree with you, it is. It is hard, it is tough. But you know, friends, there's the prospect of their burden. You see, friend, as they were journeying towards something, the way seemed hard and the way seemed toilsome, but they knew what lay ahead. Now, this is nice. All the other families and tribes of Israel were given a portion of the inheritance in the land of Canaan. But Levi were never given an inheritance. Why? I like this. It says of Levi that the Lord was their inheritance. The Lord was their inheritance. Material things in the land didn't matter to Levi. No, their inheritance was the Lord. What text could be right over that? I'm sure you're, in, you're ahead of me. I hath not seen nor hear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of those that are God's, what he has prepared for them that love him. Or what does it say in Peter? We have an inheritance incorruptible, eternal in the heavens. One day the staves would be removed, the covering of blue would be taken off for the last time, and it would rest in Solomon's temple. Let me read you this little poem if you're being burdened. All through the desert sultry way, a weary load to carry, who envied then the toilsome way of Kohath and Merari. Now priest and ark alike find rest, where God his temple raises, and they who served with burdens pressed now only serve with praises. No needless load on thee he lay, no unrequited sorrow. The burden bears of today are the singers of tomorrow. You see, friend, whenever the tabernacle had, been fin had finally served its purpose 
and all the instruments and vessels were put in the temple, the Levites weren't without a job. They became the singers. We might be in burdensome, toilsome ways down here, but whenever we reach the place of rest, then we'll join the heavenly chorus and we'll go to the place where there's no more burdens, no more sorrow, no more pain, and no more sin. The place of their burden, the pattern of their burden, the progress of their burden, there's the person of the burden. And we're almost finished. You see, friend, every single vessel in the tabernacle speaks of the Lord Jesus. Every single item of furniture, every single task was a picture of the Lord Jesus. Let me put it this way. Are we burdened for the person of Christ this morning? Are we burdened for Him? Remember, I said whenever they were carrying the vessels through, they felt the weight of holy things. Do we feel the weight of Him? And let me put this in two ways. The person of the burden, each vessel spoke of Christ. You know, I believe it with all my heart and no man will tell me different. I believe it tonight, this morning, friends, that if we get the right view of Christ, we get the right view of who He is and what He's done and where He is now, I believe a lot of our problems will be solved. I believe that. If we get the right view of Him, we sang it there at the start about Him. Precious is He, precious to me. I'm going through a little book at the minute. It's called That Wondrous Name by David Craig, a study of the titles of Christ. You take up the Lord Jesus and you find Him in this book. You find Him everywhere you go. You'll remember whenever he drew alongside to the two on the Emmaus road. says, at the beginning at Moses, he opened the scriptures unto them concerning himself. This book lives. It's a living book. And why is it a living book? It's living because it's filled with him who is life. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. You see, friends, there's the person of the burden, and that's the Lord Jesus. Let me put it this way. If we had the burden of him upon our hearts, the first thing... There's the table. The first thing's the table. What is the table? The table, dear friends, it's a remembrance to come around and think upon him. It's a proclamation to show forth his death until he come. It's a communion when we come in fellowship. It's a supper to be enjoyed. It's a foretaste of heaven, and it's a test for every man. I'm not going to go into those. But if we were burdened for the person of Christ, we would be around this table. If we were burdened for him and all his beauties and all his glories, there's not one would be outside that door. You see, friend, let me put it this way. Paul said, when the whole church comes together, or when the whole assembly comes together, and I don't have time to go through Corinthians and show you the times when Paul speaks about coming together, but there's many of them. This might sound harsh, but I'm going to say it anyway. You see, friend, in the table, Paul speaks about this do in remembrance of me. And you know, he says, you know, it's the only meeting that you're actually told to go to. You know, friend, the prayer meeting is important. I'm not begrudging it, not a bit. The gospel meeting is important, not begrudging it. The ministry meeting is important. But the one meeting that we're told to go to is the table. Now look at it this way. Paul writes Corinthians from the outset of how the table should work. 11, 12, 13, and 14 of 1 Corinthians is the operations of the Lord's table. Can you really say that you've been to church 
and not been to the round the Lord's table. Because that's how Paul writes. Our brother Stephen said that in the Bible class the other week, and I couldn't have said a heartier amen. You know, friend, if you leave this meeting this morning and you go to work tomorrow, and a friend says, what did you do yesterday? Strictly speaking, you've no right to tell them that you went to church unless you came around this table. Harsh? Well, you can shoot me at the door. The person of the burden, there's the table, but then there's also the transformation. I think sometimes we forget, dear friends, what the blessed Holy Spirit's role is to do, and that's to make us like Him. It was Peter Brandon, that revival preacher, that said the Spirit's role is to take that dear man of God, the man in the glory whom I often love to call, and to take his imprint, to take his image, and to imprint him onto each and every one of our hearts. Not only the table, but the transformation. 2 Corinthians 3 and 14 says, But we are all with open face beholding as in the glass the glory of the Lord are changed into that same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit's role, my dear friend, the Lord Jesus said, He shall not speak of Himself, but he shall testify of me. The Spirit's role, my friend, is to take the limelight, take the light off himself and put it upon the sun in order to make us more like him. And do you see, friend, when we realize that, why are we so barren? Why is there problems? I believe it's because we, we sometimes forget what the Spirit's job is to do. It's to make us Christ-like. And you see, friends, if you have not the Spirit, you are none of His, Paul wrote. Upon salvation, if you're truly saved, you have the indwelling Spirit in your heart, in your soul. He's there. My dear friends, the problem is why we have our problems, why there's such barrenness. We sit and pray, and rightly so, and we pray, come down. My dear friend, He has come down. He came down at Pentecost. If he hasn't came down, there's no advocate. If he hasn't came down, there's no high priest. If he hasn't come down, there's no intercessor. I know what you mean. But it's not that he has to come down. It's that you and I need to be cleared out. That's the problem. The person of the burden. But then, friends, as I close, there's not only the person of the burden. You know, Warren Wearsby, I'm sure you know the little series of books that Warren Wearsby wrote, the B series, Be Loyal, Be Faithful, Be Humble, Be Alert. One of his older ones is called Be What You Are. Wonderful title, and I'm going to steal his title for this little point. Be what you are. Every child of God, there's no such thing in the Bible as a half-hearted Christian. There's no such thing in the Bible as a carnal Christian. I know it mentions it, but the Bible is never written from the point of view that we should be. It's never written from the point of view that we should be carnal or cold or lukewarm. If we were to realize what Christ has done for us and upon salvation what Christ has done for us, then the title of Mr. Wearsby's book comes into play, Be What You Are. Realize that we're meant to be soldiers. We're meant to be saints. We're meant to be consecrated to Him. Finally, the place of the burden the assembly. The pattern of the burden has to be done God's way. The progress of the burden, those that are most burdened usually make the most progress. 
the prospect of the burden, there's going to rest coming in heaven someday. The person of the burden that spoke of Christ, and we burden for him finally. There's the pillars of truth in this burden. You see, every single vessel in the tabernacle not only spoke of Christ, but it spoke of a truth. I don't have time to go into those. But every single vessel in the tabernacle spoke of a wonderful truth, a wonderful doctrine, something true. And here's the final point, the burden of the pillars. We're not only burdened for Christ, are we burdened for His Word? Are we burdened to dig into this book, to go through it, to search it out, to find its details, to go through it intricately and detailed, verse by verse and bit by bit, and know what this book says? Second Timothy 2 and 15 says, Study to show thyself approved. A good workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Whenever the, ch- the children of Israel came back from the land of Babylon and they came back under Zerubbabel, Ezra was erected as a ready stri- uh, He was raised up as a priest. And it says he read the law before them on a little pulpit of wood. And it says he opened the book and he read it to them and he gave the sense. You know, I long for the days when God would raise up men that can teach. Men like Harry Ironside, men like Willie Mullen, men even like our brother Bertie, men that will know how to open the Scriptures and not only preach it but teach it, to delve into the the doctrines and truths that are in this book. You remember whenever Elijah came and there was the showdown between the true God of Israel and the gods of Baal, and he poured the water upon that altar and he sought the Lord and the God answered by fire. But there's something that he did. He had to set the wood in order. That would speak of the Bible. That would speak of truth. That would speak of the pure word, undefiled word of God being set in order and in the way it should be. And it was then when the word was right and the word was obeyed and the word was set in order. Then the fire came. How we need a burden for the word of the Lord. If you go through the minor prophets in the Old Testament... The reoccurring phrase is this, the burden of the word of the Lord. I believe there's a real dearth in our land for those who know the book. Do you know what used to be said of those that took the term assembly? In whatever form that might be, whether they were, whatever they were called, whatever their name or tag or title was, if they professed to follow the pattern, if they professed to call themselves an assembly and to gather to his name alone, there was something that we used to be called. It was called the people of the book. You know, I don't know if we can take that title anymore. How we need God to raise up men and women and young people that will bear the burden not only of the assembly, bear the burden not only of the person of Christ, but bear the burden of the book. As I close, let me illustrate it this way. If you go to the book of Leviticus, you'll get the offerings In chapters 1 to 6, I don't know how many times I've been over them. But the burnt offering speaks of what was all for Christ. It was a sweet savor. Whenever that little Israelite came with his animal sacrifice and he gave it to the priest, this struck me just the other day. The priest had to know how to open up that animal. He had to know how to open it up and lay out the parts and put them upon the altar in order for it to be a sweet savor. And of course, that animal and all of its parts spoke of none other than the Lord Jesus. 
You see, friend, we need men. I long for the days when men will be fit to do just that spiritually. They'll be fit to open it up, open up the animal, take out its parts, show men how it speaks of Christ, and then put it upon the altar, and then and only then it'll be a sweet savor unto the Lord. How we need men and women to be burdened for the book. doesn't matter who you are, young and old, man and woman, need to know this book. Young people, study your Bible. I know I'm young too, and I've no, probably no right to say this. But dear young person, study your Bible. Get to know it. And I've said this to many of you before. Whenever the big picture dawns, it'll be a joy to your heart. When the big picture of the Bible dawns, from Genesis to Revelation, it's ever new. Dig into it. Study it properly. And get in to your Bible. Elders, deacons, preachers, pastors, Young people all need to study this book in detail. You might never be behind a pulpit. You might never stand on a platform and, woman, neither you should. But we still need to know your Bible. Friends, as I close, the title of this message was The Burdens That We Bear. Are we bearing them the way we should? Do we bear the burdens of the assembly and dig in and bear the tasks and burdens in the assembly together? Do we do, it God, do we do it God's way, according to the pattern? Are we making progress? The prospect of heaven is coming. The person of Christ, if you're burdened for him at all, will come around this table now as I close and will remember the one who bore the greatest burden of all, the burden he bore all the way to Calvary. Amen.